Guten Morgen. Amen. <coughs> so, what? Six. Six in the morning. See What's going on with my dispatch? Thanks for 310k. Even though it's just law enforcement. So they only made me a warrant. So, 27 minutes ago, posted Jack Smith makes diaper on pay for Judge Cannon's protection. Whatever the holidays mean to you, get the most out of them in a new ah. holiday. Special counsel Jack Smith is making Donald Trump pay for a filing Trump made in the Mar-a-Lago criminal document case a few weeks back where I described what Donald Trump was doing as a massive overreach. And I said back then that special counsel Jack Smith would make Donald Trump pay and make Judge Eileen Cannon pay. And Jack Smith is doing that right now in what Jack Smith filed. So Donald Trump was requesting that his lawyers and Donald Trump's co-defendants in the criminal case in the Southern District of Florida regarding the willful retention of national defense information that their lawyers participate in SEPA Section 4 ex parte in-camera hearings where criminal defense lawyers are not allowed to be presented. But because you got Judge Eileen Cannon, Donald Trump, and Trump's co-defendants, Waltine Nauta and Carlos Dale, were like, heck, whatever, we want to be a part of it. So let's have our lawyers be present. That's not a normal thing. That does not happen. And there's serious 11th Circuit precedent and serious precedent across the country that says that is just not what happens when it comes to the classified information procedure. Like, but Trump asked for it, and Judge Eileen Tannen's the type of judge who ignores the law and would help him. And that's why I said this was an overreach because Judge Eileen Cannon has been purposefully making paperless orders, not substantive orders that can actually be appealed. She's been delaying and obstructing things by not reaching decisions. The lesson Judge Eileen Cannon learned when she was previously overturned twice in the case involving the search warrant uh, and executed on Mar-a-Lago where she asserted equitable jurisdiction, where she should not have asserted that jurisdiction, the, the, she learned the, the wrong lesson where she had said, maybe I shouldn't be ruling so quickly so I don't get overturned so quickly. So now in the Mar-a-Lago document case that she's been unfortunately randomly assigned to, she's now making these rulings that are scheduling in nature that really can't be appealed. But when Donald Trump asked her, hey, Judge Eileen Cannon, we want to participate in SEPA Section 4, I said, that's an overreach. And special counsel Jack Smith's going to swoop in and he's going to say, that's not appropriate. And if you do, I'm going to go to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal. That's basically what Jack Smith has just done right here. Here it is. The government's consolidated opposition to Trump's motion for access to SEPA Section 4 filings and Nauta and De Oliveira's motion related to the ex parte nature of SEPA Section 4. And so basically just what that title means is Jack Smith saying, Trump's lawyers, Waltine Nauta and Carlos de Oliveira, Trump's co-defendants lawyers, are not entitled to be at SEPA Section 4 ex parte in-camera hearings. The law is crystal clear. The special counsel Jack Smith says, look, look at the plain text of SEPA Section 4 about ex parte in-camera hearings, but also take a look at a 2008 11th Circuit Court of Appeals case, Judge Eileen Cannon, your bosses in the 11th Circuit, 
in a case called United States v. Campa, recognized that these hearings take place ex parte in camera, meeting without the criminal defendant or the criminal defendant's lawyer present. Why? Because we're dealing with such highly sensitive national security documents that in a SEPA section for hearing, the prosecutors are asking the judge to withhold certain documents and then later to substitute in place of the documents, for example, to substitute in the place of nuclear codes or war plans or things that could really damage the national security of our country, some sort of summary or other description so that the document could go before a jury at the trial so a criminal defendant's Sixth Amendment rights can be preserved while balancing the serious national security implications as well, since we don't want criminal defendants to engage in a form of blackmail called gray mail, where they go, we need these documents before a public jury, um, and we will threaten the national security, or you can dismiss these charges against us. We want to prevent that sort of blackmailing the prosecution to dismiss cases where things are highly sensitive and a criminal defendant saying these documents need to be public. We have a right to a public jury. So that's why Congress enacted this statute. And here Jack Smith is saying, look, on December 6th, Donald Trump filed this motion seeking his attorney's eyes only access to the government's filings pursuant to Section 4 of SEPA. He also seeks to compel the government to publicly file redacted versions of its SEPA Section 4 motions, but neither the statute SEPA, the Classified Information Procedures Act, nor the cases interpreting it, nor the off-point cases Trump cites justify the relief he seeks. Section 4 of SEPA, Judge Cannon, plainly contemplates and authorizes proceeding ex parte and appellate courts have held uniformly in the face of defense challenges that its text and underlying rationale justify proceeding ex parte, whereas here, defense access would defeat the motion's purpose. The 11th Circuit did so in the case, United States v. Campa, 2008. Trump fails to distinguish the Campa case and the cases from the other circuits with similar holdings. Trump struggles to find a single case to support his motion. Even the three courts that Donald Trump cites to claim that there is some other way of handling SEPA Section 4, Special Counsel Jack Smith say they did not do what Donald Trump claims they did. He's just lying to you, Judge Cannon. Happy Save big this Christmas. Get this fleece jacket for only $15.89 with a $20 coupon. Three colors to choose. Sign your comfy and... Happy holidays from our friends at Manscaped. The holidays are approaching fortify wherever your heart desires. The deodorant makes sure the best boxers how sensitive these dots are. Get your family jewels ready for the holidays.
would have received such readings. Referring to Nauta as one of Donald Trump's closest advisors is a misnomer. Nauta has described his role as a personal aide to Trump, as taking care of items like Trump's wardrobe, food, schedule updates, itinerary, and appointments. That defendants are not accused terrorists, again, misses the point in determining whether the defense should be allowed access to the government's SEPA Section 4 disclosure hearing with the federal judge. Now, here's where Donald Trump overreached. Here's where Special Counsel Jack Smith is going to make Donald Trump pay. We all think that Judge Eileen Cannon is probably going to make the wrong ruling here. One of the things that Donald Trump is asking that Cannon do, kind of just rubbing his, his, his finger in Special Counsel Jack Smith's face and trying to gloat that he's got this corrupt judge who's willing to do whatever, apparently, whatever he, he wants this judge to do, is he's even saying that there should be unredacted portions of the SEPA Section 4 filings that should be made public on the public ECF docket. What Donald Trump's doing, and he knows he's doing it, is quintessential blackmail, is quintessential gray mail. You could dismiss these charges, or I'm going to make Judge Cannon force you to disclose national security information on the public docket. Set aside having our lawyers have attorneys' eyes access in the secret SEPA Section 4 hearing that Congress passed a law that was signed into law so that these proceedings take place. I also want portions of that to be made public on the public docket. Why would Donald Trump be requesting that? Because he wants to harm the country. Why else would he want these documents and national security secrets to be made public? He's trying to blackmail and graymail the Department of Justice. Now, if Judge Eileen Cannon takes the bait, do you think Judge Eileen Cannon's going to take the bait? I do. I think she'll probably ignore Tampa. The same way she asserted equitable jurisdiction over the search warrant case, I think that she will um, ignore Tampa and she will rule in Donald Trump's favor and say this needs to be disclosed publicly and Donald Trump's lawyers can appear. So then what happens thereafter? Then Special Counsel Jack Smith goes to the 11th Circuit, and here's where you don't have to worry at all. These documents are not going on the public docket. This will be an attorney's eyes only hearing. Judge Cannon, if she sides with Trump, is going to lose, and it would be such an egregious reversible error that this is the type of error that could lead to Judge Cannon being forced off this case. The 11th Circuit has precedent that's like a three-strike rule where in another case in a sentencing issue where there were multiple times where the judge continued to make errors, the 11th Circuit finally said enough is enough. This could potentially be Judge Cannon's third strike if you count the prior two reversible errors she made when the search warrant was executed at Mar-a-Lago and she asserted equitable jurisdiction and was reversed twice in two scathing orders by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals back in 2022. So Jack Smith knows what he's doing here, and Donald Trump could have just sat back, let Judge Eileen Cannon continue to delay and obstruct, but now you force the issue. 
you force Judge Eileen Cannon to do your bidding, and she does, I think Special Counsel Jack Smith goes immediately to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal, and if she doesn't and she rejects it, then I think that Donald Trump's going, oh, Judge Cannon, I thought you were supposed to, you know, be supportive of me. I thought you were supposed to. There's no way she makes the right ruling. There's no, like, she's been doing everything she can for him. So when presented with this, as I've said, her uh, corruption is matched, or in many ways even superseded or, or exceeded, rather, by her incompetence. So let's look out for that. But Jack Smith, with this opposition, calling Trump out, calling the co-defendants out, daring Judge Eileen Cannon to make reversible error, pointing out the Campo case, it is brilliant legal work. Make Trump pay for his overreach here, Jack Smith. It's what's going down in the government's consolidated opposition to Trump's motion for access to SEPA Section 4 filings and now to end Oliveira's motion related to the ex parte nature of SEPA Section 4. See your pronoun and legal points. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks for your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Hey, Might is Mighty. Love this report? We continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. At Might is Touch. Keep up with the most important... She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Tristagram. Hope that's what it says. Love your content. Keep up the great work. Wow, wow, wow. Let's see what else Old Midas Touch has up its sleeve this morning. Whatever the holidays means to you, get the most out of it in a new home. Donald Trump spending the morning there? begging. Yes, you are. Hi there. Donald Trump spending the morning begging President Biden to drop the charges against him. The fact mm -hmm. that Donald Trump believes that is something a President of the United States can do tells you everything you need to know about Donald Trump. Here's what he's posting. President Biden should drop all of these fake political indictments against me, both criminal and civil. Every case I am fighting is the work of the DOJ and White House. No such thing has ever happened in our country before. Banana Republic, question mark, question mark, election interference. I mean, how pathetic can you get? One of the things I want to show you, though, now, and I've loved it this week, is President Biden pushing back. President Biden took the gloves off during a recent speech, and I want to show you what he said. First, let me show you what Donald Trump just said at a speech that he just gave where he went over that same line again about immigrants poisoning the blood and Donald Trump quoting Adolf Hitler. But here he says, I've never read Mein Kampf. I never read it, but sort of knows how to pronounce it. Here, play this clip. It's crazy what's going on. They're ruining our country. And it's true. They're destroying the blood of our country. That's what they're doing. They're destroying our country. They don't like it when I said that. And I never read Mein Kampf. They said, oh, Hitler said that in a much different way. You know, they're coming from all over the world, people all over the world. We have no idea. They could be healthy. They could be very unhealthy. They could bring in disease that's going to catch on in our country, but they do bring in crime. But they have them coming from all over the world. 
So take a look at that clip from Donald Trump at his recent speech in Waterloo, Iowa, and let's compare it to what President Biden has to say. Take a look at this. Gloves are off. Play the clip. You know, we always believe diversity is our strength as a nation. I don't believe, as the president, former president said again yesterday, that immigrants are polluting, polluting our blood. And then President Biden said this. Play it. By the way, so far, we've created 14 million new jobs, more jobs in three years than any president created in four years in history. It's a fundamental break from trickle-down economics, economics that supercharged my, my uh, was, was supercharged by my predecessor, the guy who thinks we're polluting the blood of Americans, he said. We cut taxes for the wealth of big corporations. Six good-paying jobs overseas, strength, public investment, and infrastructure and education. We used to have the number one infrastructure in the world. Now we're number 16 or 17. We've changed the world. And then President Biden pointed out that Republicans are against Americans. Play the clip. Let's be clear. Republicans are against so many critical actions that help working and middle-class people, especially black Americans. Just remember how the pandemic hit black businesses, especially hard. How my predecessor on his watch, women and minority-owned small businesses found themselves last in line accessing emergency relief with programs like the Paycheck Protection Program. On my watch, energy and emergency relief went to minority-owned businesses first, not last. Oh, and as President Biden was walking to his car, walking to, they call it the Beast, the, uh, the car that the president uh, drives in. He was asked the question about the Colorado uh, Supreme Court's ruling that Donald Trump is disqualified. Watch how he handled the question. Perfectly. Play the clip.
salvation himself over Christmas. Play the clip. I'm hearing that Stephen Miller is getting his pilot's license next month, and he's going to be personally (laughs) deporting these people, plane load after plane load. Is that true, Miller? Don't get me excited, Jesse. Look, the <laughs> bottom line. Want to spend your retirement, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would spend my Christmas holiday doing that if I could, Jesse. I think. And again, I'm trying to show here the contrast between the types of things that President Biden's saying, the normalcy there, versus this MAGA madness. This is all in the past 24, 48 hours and stuff. Take a look at this. Kellyanne Conway, who talked about Trump's alternative facts. Here she is on Fox, and this is what she has to say. These are her alternative facts. And just this bizarre, deranged world they've created for themselves. Here, play this clip. On those grounds, or that he being convicted. So it is in doubt. And when you look at what I just think the Democrats wake up every morning, Emily, and they look at the calendar, the iPhone says January 6, 2021. The date never changes. And then they get an electric vehicle, go get an abortion. I'm just going to the Democrats on the field in seven seconds. Um, that's it. That's what I think. But it's and as I mentioned before, that this bizarre world, I mean, just take a look at Donald Trump Jr.'s fiance, Kimberly Gilfoyle, posting nude photos of her and, and Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. And she just posts these photos all day. She hosts one of the main podcasts, by the way that the right-wing influencers uh, really like, a, a real true person of the people uh, right there. By the way, this is same day Eric Trump spoke at that right-wing talking, uh, Turning Points USA, whatever they call it, the big right-wing influencer group. And here he has to say that his friends in the military, they just make stuff up, by the way, his friends in the military say they don't focus on the military anymore. They focus on the woke. Play the clip. This is the priority of our military. I have friends who are in the military right now who are saying they spend more time on woke causes and paperwork and nonsense and seminars and recesses than they do on actually learning how to fight. Do you think they're worried about that in China? Are you going to let the Green New Deal company and their crazy high prices decide that your family is allowed to stay warm this winter? No. A former NASA engineer from Michigan is taking just a bunch of losers. Just make shit up. Here's Eric Trump believing that his brother Baron is 15. Baron turns 18 in March. Could you imagine if I was doing shady deals and I was sending money to Baron's bank account? Baron at 15 years old would be in jail. I would be in jail. My father would be in jail. We wouldn't even have a trial. The trial would be over before it even started. And they want to know the age of your brother, but I digress. And here, Eric Trump praises those who are involved in the January 6th insurrection, saying they peacefully protested. They did not. Play the clip. Look at January 6th. Look at January 6th. People showed up at the Capitol. And what? I mean, you see some of the charges that they're, they're being thrown at them? So, so you no longer have the right to protest peacefully. Mm-hmm. Get charged under the Insurrection Act now if you show up at the Capitol because you don't like what your government's doing. They've weaponized that system, guys. Oh, and by the way, here is AOC. Like, like, who are the people running against Democrats right now? Like, what does it mean to be a MAGA Republican? Here is AOC's Republican opponent providing her constitutional analysis 
of the Colorado Supreme Court decision. I want to give a trigger warning here that she uses very strong language. This is the MAGA Republican opponent to AOC. Play this clip. Colorado and how afraid the Democrats are for us to vote, we the people. This isn't up to those third world that made this decision, okay? This is up to the people. They shouldn't have a say, but they're getting all this out of the playbook of the communists. Communist playbook. Remember that. Once it hit Supreme Court, it's going to be overturned, but if Democrats controlled everything, it would stand. That should fucking stand you. It should stand each and every one of you. What a joke that this decision is afraid to let us vote. Our decision, we the people. This needs to be reversed, it needs to be reversed quickly, and it needs to stop. It needs to fucking stop. What are you afraid of? You're so afraid of Donald Trump. Why? Because that country was good under him, it was safe, it was flourishing. So, like I said, Trump 2024 and third world. And then here at uh, the Charlie Kirk talking points, turning points, USA, whatever they call it, they call it their average American segment. And, and here's someone who said that he was fired by Best Buy because he refused to participate in the diversity training because it was against his religion. And they've got the Trump mugshot. New appliances and everything. And... What they do, they, they push this whole agenda on us. What, what does learning about LGBTQ, the trans community, have to do with installing appliances? I, I just couldn't do it. I, I, like I said, I'm European. We got a big mouth. So when it came to that, I, I dipped out, and my manager was trying to tell me I was in the wrong for having my faith. Excuse me, sir, that's not how we do things around here. No, this is America. This is not... Going on, but by the way, that's the President Biden I want to see. That's the President Biden I want. That's the President Biden we will see. And as the economic metrics and people start recognizing the economic metrics are trending, we have a long way to go. But all being because of policy trending in a productive direction, GDP leading the world. Inflation, the lowest of all G7 nations. Still a lot of work to do. Wages up, unemployment down, job numbers up, 40,000 infrastructure projects across the country. This is some good good things to talk about right here. We'll keep talking about them here on the Mighty 1070. Thank you for watching. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks for your support and have a great day. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. At Midas Touch. She so don't need no Instagram. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. She just uses Instagram. Great job. Making coffee every day didn't work Making for me. coffee every day didn't work for me. It wasn't until I went from 195 to 133 that I figured out why. I was doing everything Thumbs right, up. but just needed a little tweak to one thing. So this is the simple method that's helped me drop... Like a faux pas, legal dark presidential immunity. Will it work for Donald Trump? Will he be able to avoid his 
criminal trial in March in a district of Columbia? Or will the weight of all of the immunity decisions that are, have been rendered against him come crashing down on him and let the trial go forward as planned? U.S. Supreme Court is very interested as to whether they have a Hurry up and get Cannon off the case. Skipping over the intermediary court, the D.C. Court of Appeals. But the D.C. Court of Appeals, not to be outdone, they would like to assert jurisdiction over the appeal, and they want to be heard first. They've got simultaneous briefing schedules, so it's like a battle of the bands. U.S. Supreme Court on one side, D.C. Court of Appeals on the other, and we talk about it one place only on the most recent episode of Legal AF. Take a listen. Fox. So I think the United States Supreme Court, they'll get Trump's briefing on December 20th, despite Donald Trump and his lawyers saying they want the Supreme Court to step in. They're going to argue Supreme Court shouldn't step in, and they're actually going to cite the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals expedited briefing schedule as a reason why the Supreme Court shouldn't step in. They should say, we may want you to step in after the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rules, so delay it until after that happens. I think the Supreme Court's going to look at that expedited briefing schedule and say that it's premature for them to rule at this time because the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is um, moving quickly. I think we'll have a response by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals um, and a ruling before February 1st. The, the part that I truly don't know, though, is ultimately, will the Supreme Court then take up this issue? And this is where you got to see what Donald Trump's you know response is going to be. Is he going to argue it should not go before the Supreme Court, or is he arguing it should go before the Supreme Court and then it just delays, you know, but just delay it until after. If the Supreme Court takes certiorari after the uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals makes its ruling, say D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals makes its ruling before February 1, and then the United States Supreme Court hears oral arguments, sets an oral argument, because they may do that, and then they set an oral argument which they believe to be on an expedited schedule, like a 45 to 60 day schedule and then that kicks it into the you know into the summer i think that would be problematic uh michael popak if, if that happens and i'd prefer that the supreme court to kind of just you know at, at this point it's a tough one because special counsel jackson says he wants them to hear it but if they set it on a schedule that's that's what becomes kind of problematic on the trial, you know, on, on the trial schedule. I think the Supreme Court's going to hear it. I think they're going to hear it after the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rules, and it is my hope that the Supreme Court uh, sets that for more of like, like right away, because all of the briefing's basically there, and that they recognize they want to keep this trial on schedule. That, to me, is the only variable of like actually delaying this trial date to an area where it becomes problematic is till the Supreme Court set a briefing schedule that really kind of pushes this to a time that's, um, you know, wh wh where it can't be tried before the election. Now, in the meantime, let's just not forget that Manhattan District Attorney case. That will go in March then. Criminal case against Trump before Judge Juan Masson for Trump's uh, failure to appropriately uh, log the business records for his hush money payments or to falsify or fraudulently place, you know, put what these uh, legal expenses were for 
um, or calling them legal expenses when they were hush money payments. That case goes to trial then in March, and then this one gets kicked to the next one. I, I want to see this case go first, though. Yeah. So I acknowledge that um, my desire to have it go first is hoping that hope springs eternal. I also recognize that if the Supreme Court does take certiorari after D.C., that could push it till after the Manhattan D.A. case. I, I might be an outlier. I think this goes a lot faster. Um, I think other than Bush versus Gore, which took about 30 days or less to decide um, the major issue of who is newly the president of the United States, there's been no more important decision to our constitutional republic than whether Donald Trump is a convicted a criminal or not before the November election. And I think they certainly can move a lot faster than we just mapped out here, and that they should. And one of the ways to do that, uh, if they believe it's as important as I've just laid out, and the first signal that I may be, I may be right, and, and, uh, and we all want to be, we all want it fast. So it's not that, it's not like I'm trying to win a bet. But one of the, the fact that they even thought, you know what, let's see if we can have a direct appeal directly to us. That's interesting. That's, we, let's give a fast-track briefing on that. And then if they decide, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate here. I think Donald Trump argues he's getting, he's getting his ass kicked, understandably, in the District of Columbia with these three-judge panels. Because they're generally coming up, Biden, Biden, Obama, 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 Biden, you know, uh, Obama, Biden, George W. appointees. And he's not doing well. It's a, it's a, it's a more uh, democratic Place, yeah, this this current panel is a child, Biden, Pan, Biden, <laughs> right. and Henderson, Reagan, George H.W. Bush, but an old-school Republican, not a MAGA. Yeah, no, not a MAGA Trumper. So if I'm Donald Trump, I may, as to answer a question you raised before, I may want to support trying to get a direct, argue for direct appeal jurisdiction of the U.S. Supreme Court because, you know, on paper he's got slightly better odds there with some of the people that are on there. If they, if they grab it, because they just think, look, this is so important to our, our system of government, our way of life, our democracy, that we are going to do the extraordinary thing, as, as Jack Smith said in his briefing. This is an extraordinary request, but this is an extraordinary case. And if they see that, this is their moment. You know, it's a little scary to say that because we don't trust this Supreme Court for, for very good reason. Just as it was their moment in 2000 to decide a five to four decision. It was one vote for Bush. That's why we had a presidency called Bush. Should have been Gore, uh, based on what was brought up to them. But if that is their new theory now, 23 years later, that we should make this decision and not leave it to others, and they'll make it quickly, just as they did in, in Gore versus uh, Bush versus Gore. Um, and I think that can get made. After, what's the? Uh, sorry, you're better with the with the date than I am. What's the last brief in? On the U.S. Supreme Court, whether we can take jurisdiction or not, Andrew. December 20th. I think if they, all right, so if they rule, I think they rule quickly after that, maybe with oral argument, um, maybe early January, and then they'll go like, that's, we've seen the fast track briefing. They gave, they gave a week for Supreme Court briefs or less in the Bush versus Gore. So when they want to, they can get off the stick. If they do that, and they and they have it fully briefed on the fundamental issue of immunity by mid-January, they can make a decision by January and not terribly impact February or March. It won't roll out. I don't think they would risk, as an institution, deciding to take the issue and then knowing that the case has stayed and then just 
let it roll out to help out Donald Trump until the election. I just, I mean, it would be, people wanted to topple the Supreme Court before because, you know, uh, uh, because of the ethics issues and the fact that the way that they're ruling to take away women's rights to choose and expanding Second Amendment rights. Can you imagine? But, you know, you, you hear the, the MAGA Republican podcasters and things say, this world, there'll be blood in the streets if Donald Trump were put in jail. Can you imagine what would happen to America if they took the case and then, and then kept him being tried and let him stand for election? Well, and that's why, it was such a, that's why it was such a brilliant move by special counsel Jack oh, yeah. Smith also to call Donald Trump's bluff. Okay, you believe you have absolute presidential immunity? You believe you should be treated like a king for criminal acts? If you believe that... And that's what you're out there saying? Bet. I'll give you the opportunity right now. I'm going to ask the Supreme Court to do it. Now, if you really want the Supreme Court to do it, like you say in your speeches, like your lawyer, Alina Haba, is out there saying you want the Supreme Court to intervene, if you believe you have this king-like immunity in criminal cases, here's your shot. And so it was the perfect aggressive move. And it's also Jack Smith saying to the American public, too, I'm doing everything I can do. You wanted the aggressive prosecutor. You wanted somebody who did every possible maneuver they could do. I'm going directly to the United States Supreme Court on this issue. And to your point, Michael Popak, it puts the Supreme Court in the hot seat. The American people saw what you did in overturning Roe. The American people saw what you did in gutting all of these rights. You claim that you're not trying to create this handmaid's tale, you know, world, even though your rulings suggest the exact opposite. I'm going to put this in your lap right now, United States Supreme Court. You have the opportunity to make the statement that you're just for. The issue is a simple one. Does a former president have absolute presidential immunity for their criminal acts while they are in office? That's the question. The answer is very simple. No. It clearly can't. It should not be complicated. Both for the reasons the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals said in Blassingham, as it relates uniquely to Donald Trump's conduct, but as it relates more broadly and more fundamentally within our constitutional regime, within our democracy. Presidents are not kings, and Donald Trump is not the president. Those words, prophetic as they were, but by Judge Tanya Chutkin in 2021, in a case where Donald Trump was suing the January 6th committee, where he tried to assert king-like executive privilege before the January 6th committee got all of its records. And those words are fundamental and foundational to our democracy. It's fundamental and foundational to why you and I decided we're going to do this legal AF show. We, we, we need to get that message out there. And, and, and finally, Michael Popak, I do want to turn, though, to the topic. Can, can I interrupt for one second? Yes. Because I had time while you, were, while you were giving that good analysis. It's even faster than I thought in Bush versus Gore. The Florida Supreme Court made a decision upon which the Bush versus Gore that gave Bush the presidency on the 8th of December of 2000. Okay? On the 9th of December, the court granted certiorari. There was oral argument on the 11th of December, and they ruled on the 12th of December. That was done in 
four days. There's no excuse if they take this case that they, they have to do it in longer than a week or two. Well, there's precedent for them moving, no pun intended, quickly on issues that, that could rock our constitutional republic. Oh, look, here's what, Don, here's what Donald Trump's going to, it's not a secret what Donald Trump's going to argue. He's out there saying it, though. He's going to say the, and, and again, this is because it's an objective reporting here on Legal AF. Trump is going to say, well, you waited, if you thought this was that big of a crisis, you could have filed this back on January you know, 7th. Obviously, Bill Barr couldn't, couldn't, couldn't bring it back. You know, Bill Barr was out, and Donald Trump's own DOJ wasn't going to bring it against them, and they were cowardly. And then there had to be an investigation. So th that becomes the argument, though, you know, which is, you know, special counsel have the special counsel appointed, have the special counsel go through the process. Donald Trump obstructed this. Let's be clear, though, because I know there is a lot of reasons to potentially fault Merrick Garland for not bringing this sooner against Donald Trump, but let's also not forget that Merrick Garland also has secured over a thousand convictions of January 6th insurrectionists all the way up to the Proud Boys, and at every step of the way, Trump and his MAGA crew have been trying to undermine the rule of law, taking every possible appeal to block all of these things happening. Judge Beryl Howell, who we mentioned at the outset, she's the judge presiding over the Giuliani case. You see how all of the connections are made right here. Judge Beryl Howell, who's a federal judge, so she oversees civil and criminal cases in D.C. She used to be the presiding judge in Washington, D.C. As the presiding judge, she was the judge assigned to all of the disputes before the D.C. grand jury. So she saw all of these January 6th um, cases. She saw all of the Donald Trump proceedings as well for the grand jury proceedings right there. And Trump tried to block everything before. Everything was a, a fight. Everything was a delay. Everything was a briefing. One other note about Judge Beryl Howell. And by the way, that's what I think Jack Smith's going to say. This was moved as within our legal system. This is being moved as expeditiously as it possibly can. And here we are. A federal judge has set a court date, set it. And I think Jack Smith has the more powerful argument. I just want to give you the arguments that are going to be made there. One other point about Judge Beryl Howell, though. So Elise Stefanik and the MAGA members of Congress who just do whatever Donald Trump wants, it's like the most pathetic thing in the world. Elise Stefanik now sends letters reporting judges to their judicial ethics committees that govern the judges if Donald Trump doesn't like the judge. So Elise Stefanik back in, I think it was either October or November, sent one about Judge Arthur and Goron to the Judicial Council that oversees the judicial conduct of New York State court judges. And Elise Stefanik just sent one complaining about Judge Beryl Howell because Judge Beryl Howell received an award from the Women's White Collar Bar Association in Washington, D.C. Um, for her career achievements. And in the speech, Judge Beryl Howell talked about how big lies are permeating and how lies are distorting truth and how our democracy is under attack. Elise Stefanik says that that statement by Judge Beryl Howell was inappropriate and shows her bias against Republicans, who I guess is against Elise Stefanik's just saying the quiet part out loud, that if you condemn and criticize fascism, you are condemning and criticizing one of the two major 
political parties right now. The one that Elise Stefanik is as a member of the MAGA Republican Party. So I just wanted to point out all of those connections. Well, if you like lawyers knowing what they're talking about when it comes to politics, law, and justice, you've come to the right place, Legal AF. You know all about us already. We appreciate you. Thank you. Take that clip. Try to build our audience. Send it to people in your life that you like, or maybe some you don't, and ask them to take a watch. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about and who this guy is, I'm Michael Kofox. That was a clip from Legal AF. And uh, you can catch us every Wednesday and Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the YouTube channel for the Biden Touch Network. Help them get to 2 million free subscribers. They're so close. Please slip to them. I'm not kidding. Uh, and then until my next hot take, until my next Legal AF, Michael Kofox reporting. Thanks so much for watching. We're only a few subscribers short of 2 million subs. Please subscribe right now to the Midas Tech YouTube channel for free and help us grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network. That's a commercials, man.
aren't only about the possible return of Donald Trump to office. This is about the next Republican president, whoever it may be, is going to be pushing Christian nationalism. So, Mike, we've got this reporting out about Project 2025. I'm shocked that there hasn't been more of this, but that clip that we just saw ends with this warning about Christian nationalism. For those who are unfamiliar with the term, can you just give a layman's definition of what that is and why it's dangerous for democracy? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm happy to give it to everybody. Uh, I mean, essentially, Christian nationalism, people can give you a more technical definition, but it's essentially the exact same idea of separation of church and state, right? This is an idea that the federal government ought to be using its power to uh, drive certain interpretation of Christian values as social policy. And that equates to everything from how we educate our children uh, to what you can go to jail for in this country, right? Uh, a complete break with the founding fathers, a complete break with the First Amendment. Um, you know, this is the idea that we ought to move in the direction of being a religious country uh, in, a, in a governmental sense. Uh, not a new idea. Right? It's an idea that's come up here and there. It's, it's the same kind of threat of American politics that you know wanted to criminalize teaching evolution in the past and that kind of thing. Um, it's not new, uh, but it's taken a particularly dangerous form, I think, recently. It's certainly not new, but until the rise of MAGA and Trumpism, it seemed at least like a fringe idea, this idea of knocking down any barrier between church and state. In fact, even evangelical churches through you know, much of the, the, the 60s and 70s into the 80s, we had uh, Christian Dumais on the show and Angela Dancer, they were very wary about getting that involved in politics. But something fundamental has shifted, and now you have groups like the Heritage Foundation, which is behind Project 2025, being so influenced by civilological thinking and uh, Christian nationalist ideals that, you know, not only is that, that wall being destroyed, they're talking about religion driving government, religious ideology driving uh, policy and Christian nationalism being the rallying cry. Yeah, and, and this is not a fringe thing. And I think that's a really important key point, right? This is Project 2025, as I understand it, we're talking about a 2020s $22 million effort, at least. Um, 75 organizations have signed on to this thing. It, it's being run by deep established organizations like the Heritage Foundation. Um, so there's nothing, there's nothing fringe about it at all. I mean, this is a coordinated, focused attempt to learn from past, what they would perceive as past mistakes. And, and I think the most uh, forward way to say it is just the, the total incompetence of the first Trump administration. They're, they're incumbent to actually governing the country. To learn from that is to try to create a machine that can dismantle the federal bureaucracy at a very fundamental level and that can effectively neuter Congress. This is one of the things I find really striking about it. Um, the people involved in this effort talk about Congress as an imperial Congress, which is a strange contradiction in terms, right? I mean, Congress is the people's house, but they want to take Congress's power away and move it into the, into the hands of the president take the Department of Justice's power away and move that into the hands of the president. Uh, so it's a very imperial effort to, to consolidate power.
they might have a very willing agent in the new Speaker of the House. And just to remind folks, that is a position that puts its holder two heartbeats away from president. And in Mike Johnson, you have a valid Christian nationalist. He's described America not as a democracy, but as a biblical republic. So this, this idea that the Heritage Foundation is, is working from the outside trying to influence politicians is only half the story. They actually, they've won already, in a sense, placing people like Mike Johnson in positions of incredible influence. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. But, I mean, I feel like I need a time machine you know, back to the days when we were arguing about repealing prohibition so we could get a beer afterwards and whether, you know, women could vote. I mean, it's at that level of kind of theocracy that I think these folks are operating. And they have, they have taken a great deal of power. Um, I think it's a strange contradiction. This is simultaneously an incredibly well thought out, well financed, detailed plan to dismantle American democracy effectively. And incredibly unlikely to work in a lot of ways that I think that doesn't make it better. You know, I, I don't think this would go smoothly. I think there are a lot of things about this that immediately contradict themselves. Uh, you know, you want to take a tougher position on China, for example, and dismantle the national security state at the same time. You know, the FBI can't collect intelligence that must be tough on China. I mean, none of this is going to work. Uh, but that doesn't make it any better. I mean, it, it just creates uh, an even more dangerous situation if you think about the national security of the country. Um, but it's clearly not a good one, and there's a lot of money, and there are a lot of people behind the scenes. Linking up both, your just subscribe just that easier without a and opener. Crack eggs like a pro and avoid messy dough, all for only 29 cents. Yeah, for only 29 cents. But it's clearly not a joke, and there's a lot of money, and there are a lot of people behind the scenes. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. I've got a quick break here, but I need a favor first. Shows like this depend on your support. Please, if you can spare five seconds, click the link to the Help us marry those those two separate ideas. That... I think it's really well said. You know, you... Um, the first Trump administration and all of the failures that that administration experience, but this admission that in many ways Trump's ideas were right on, but the implementation was stymied by people in government who would not let him play fast and loose with the Constitution or with the law. And the solution is, is less to uh, make Trump a better president than to dismantle the everything they want to do. How he describes it.
to hold political enemies, those kinds of things. The other thing, the support of the, the president said that the support of whoever the next Republican is, but uh, what he realistically could not be supporting Trump, the support of the president is talked about putting the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs staff on trial. It's talked about uh, camps to hold um, hold immigrants in. Uh, it was talked about political retribution, as you said, on a massive scale. When you have that kind of those are Diaper Don's words. I am your retribution. With something like Project 2025 and the cruelty and banality of someone like President Trump, he's, he's not hiding it. It's a pretty deadly combo. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And they've been clear their first target is the Department of Justice and the FBI. And what does that mean? It means they want to, and I, this is what they are saying, right? They want to eliminate the independence of the Department of Justice. The specific kind of independence they're talking about is prosecutorial discretion and independence. The Department of Justice makes its own decisions, independent of political leaders who are elected, like the president, about who to charge with crimes, who to prosecute, who to send to prison. But if they want to put that power directly in the hands of the president, the president that they're thinking about, of course, the Republican frontrunner, is running around the country talking about how he wants to throw his political opponents in jail. You don't have to, this is not that subtle. Right? Meanwhile, they're also, you know, according to Politico, they're scouring social media accounts and public records to rule out terrorists. That's the way Politico put them, right? So they're, they're doing research on people's beliefs, voting patterns, things like that, what they say on, on social media, to try to make sure that they don't set up the government with anybody who might have a problem with them. We just had uh, Stuart Stevens on the show. I think we're probably going to air the interview after we air this one. But his latest book, The Conspiracy to End America, details five aspects of creeping authoritarianism that are met in America today. It's really scary stuff. But the one that's really most alarming to me is the legal architecture to justify that kind of authoritarianism. And that requires intense and institutional support and people from places like Yale Law School and the Heritage Foundation provide the legal framework for the outrages that, you know, the, the otherwise crude political hacks would, uh, would, would carry out uh, anyway. But the, the think tanks and you know, the Heritage Foundations out there give them the legal cover. Does does it shock you that we're at that point where people that, that we went to school with uh, and some great legal minds are rationalizing this now? I mean, on a, on a personal level, sure. You know, I, I know a lot of these people. So do you, right? We, you know, we, we had debates and, and in some cases friendships, and our kids know each other going back a decade or more. On the other hand, if you look at the rise of most authoritarian movements around the world, and historically, there are a lot of lawyers involved every single time. Um, it's it's the papering over of the crimes. It's the understanding how to dismantle and reshape the bureaucracies that you 